0: You're listening to the St. John's Dumb Creek podcast. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister Kirk McKenzie. Tonight's Bible reading is from Psalm 56, and you can find that on page 460 of the Bibles in the Pews. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life.
1: So, our teaching series at the moment is called In the Valley. And each week we're looking at a different difficult emotion and seeing what the Bible has to teach us about it. Uh, In the Valley, particularly focusing on those down emotions, those more dark emotions. Um, And what we do with each week is we use the Book of Psalms as a launching point to look at what the Bible says about it. The Book of Psalms is a collection of songs or poems which are very emotional and express all sorts of different emotions about life and about God and all sorts of emotions to God. And some of them are sort of mountaintop emotions, celebration, praise, this sort of stuff. Uh, And some of them are very much valley emotions. And so that's what we're focusing on. Um, We're particularly focusing on the topic of fear tonight, um, of the emotion fear. Now, I want to just tell you straight up front that like, when we zoom out and we look at the whole Bible and all the teaching on fear, we could, we could teach every week for six months on this topic and not cover every angle that's in the Bible there. So um, that's it's definitely going to be an overview tonight. We're not going to get into maybe every possible angle that we could, uh, but we do hope it's going to be helpful for you in um, thinking about and processing the emotion of fear. If you do have questions that pop up, I encourage you to text in your questions and if we've got time, I'll have a crack at answering them at the end. If it's been a while since you've experienced any fear, I've got two 19-second video clips to help you out. Uh, at the end of the first one, half the people in the room will hate me, uh, but that's okay. At the end of the second one, everyone in the room will hate me. Let's go.
0: Is there anything that terrifies you? I hate spiders, that's for sure. Yeah. Give me a phone. Not a fan? Mm-hmm. Look at how cute he is. No, it's not. <laughs> It's cute and furry. Can I, have, can I have my phone? No, 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 no. Kill it!
1: you go, two of the most common fears, fear of spiders and fear of heights. I heard a helpful definition of fear just a couple of weeks ago and we'll chuck it up on the screen. Fear is a feeling or an emotion of looming potential loss. So you feel that there's something coming and, it, and you might lose something because of it. Not definitely going to lose it, but maybe you're going to lose something. So, when we think about the spider example, you see the spider and you have a fear reaction. And the the fear there is going, well, if that's a poisonous spider and it makes its way onto me and bites me, then I might lose my health or maybe I might even lose my life. Likewise, you're standing up on a high height, you're next to a ledge, and your fear there is that if I fall off the the ledge or the cliff or whatever I'm on, that I'm going to lose the integrity of my bone structure when I land down the bottom, possibly lose my life, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen, but there's that feeling of looming potential loss. It's going to be a helpful definition for us as we talk about fear tonight. Now, fear can be good. Um, It can be very helpful and can lead to some really positive action in life. Um, So, you see a tiger snake on the path in front of you, um, and fear kicks in and tells you, don't pat that snake, move away. Okay, good decision. Thank you, fear. You've helped out really well there. Or you see a toddler wobbling their way towards a dangerous, busy road, and fear kicks in, you sprint over, you don't even have time to think. You just react, and you get over there, and you grab that kid before they walk into the danger zone, and you protect them from potentially getting hit by a car. Again, an excellent reaction. Fear can help us make good, just sort of instinctual decisions as we go through life. Also, fear can alert us and just help us to be realistic about the situation that we're in. So, at the start of each psalm, they actually give a little bit of context on who wrote it and what was going on for them. So, at the start of Psalm 56, if you have a look at it in your Bibles, it says it's written by David, who's one of the early kings of Israel, and that he, this is when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. So, it seems like he's some sort of prisoner of war when he writes this. Maybe. He wrote it while he was in prison. Maybe he wrote it afterwards as he remembered the experience. But he says that he's afraid in this situation. And to me, that's just really logical. Like, the the afraidness means you're going to go, yeah, I'm surrounded by all these risky things, and uh, it's a dangerous situation, so I need to think clearly and be realistic about my circumstances and not be overly confident or blasé about it. Another good type of fear is reverent fear. What do I mean by that? Well, reverent fear is, is not the sort of fear of you know, some sort of booze scare in a horror movie. You know, like there's, there's sort of some monster out to get you or some sort of creepy thing that's trying to creep you out. Reverent fear is when you acknowledge that um, you are small compared to other things. So if we think about God, um, he's much bigger than us. We don't have complete control over everything. Um, something. there are things that are bigger and more powerful than us. So let's take the example of that guy climbing the building in that video that I showed at the start. That building is the Burj Khalifa uh, in the city of Dubai. Anyone want to have a crack at how tall it might be? Very tall. How many metres are you thinking? 430 metres. 60 storeys, someone was over here, 700 metres. It's 829 metres high. So it's a really tall building, right? Now, if you're at the top of that building and you're walking around on the roof, um, you better have a reverent fear for how big that building is compared to you. You know, the closer you get to the edge, the more you need to honour and respect the fact that that building is much, much, much bigger than you. It's not out to get you. It doesn't hate you. It's not trying to creep you out, it's just bigger than you. And so reverent fear can be helpful, particularly when it comes to God. And actually, um, the Bible does encourage us to fear God in that way, in the sense that when we think about how big God is, creator of everything, knows everything, um, ever-present, all-knowing, that when we think about God being that big and that powerful, of course we should have awe and honour and respect for him. So fear can be good. But fear can be bad, especially when it causes us to make bad decisions or it causes us just complete inaction when we actually need to do something. So the spider thing can be helpful, but the spider thing can get out of hand, you know. If you struggle to enter a room that's got a tiny little daddy long legs in the corner, then that's going to start restricting you from actually living a decent day-to-day life. Um, A lot of social fear is like this, you know, where we worry about what people are going to think about us. I think this is most prevalent in school, although a lot of the school people aren't really listening, they're just chatting in the back row there. Still going. We're good? Ready to go? Cool. So what can really happen in school is you feel pressure to fit in and just live up to other people's expectations. This is even the case where, like, like the the cool group, whatever, the popular group, whatever, who you think are a pack of jerks, you still kind of want to be accepted by them, like you want them to like you for whatever reason. That can happen. So, um, And peer pressure doesn't go away as you get older. It can still be there in workplaces and in families and in social situations. And that can be crippling too because what it can do is actually stop you from acting the way that you believe is the right way to act or the most sensible way to act and actually compromising your beliefs and doing things that you think are are actually the wrong decision, but you're trying to fit in, so that's what you're doing, right? So um, fear can be bad in that way, and it can prevent us from even taking on opportunities. So a stat I learned last year, very recent Australian stats, not that one, Chris, let's just go back for a sec, um, is about 18 to 35-year-olds in Australia, um, and 40% of 18 to 35-year-olds Say that they feel that they are are afraid to fail. It's a fear in their life that they might fail at something. Now, what's the best way to avoid that fear? Never Never do anything. Don't try. Don't attempt anything, and then you won't fail, right? So if you have that sort of fear, you can see how that's going to restrict your opportunities, life. That's going to restrict your opportunity to learn, because we usually learn by making mistakes. Most of the things that I teach you here from the stage are based on mistakes that I've made in my life that I've learned from, right? So um, it restricts our ability just to get the best things out of life. And then we can get into the area of anxiety, very similar to fear, and uh, the Mental Health First Aid Australia organization says that 14% of Australians, and this is all age groups, not just young adults, um, 14% of Australians have an anxiety disorder in any one year. A disorder is where your anxiety and the feelings of anxiety uh, to the point where they stop you from living a sort of normal day-to-day life. Um, so, you know, what are we looking at? We, we sort of have 80 people here, so you know, you're looking at like 10 to 12 sort of people um, who this year will have an anxiety disorder at some point. Um, that stat is on the rise uh, in Australia, even though life is really great here, actually, and we've got so many of our needs met. Um, for some reason, anxiety is going up in our society in, in big ways. Um, since the uh, introduction of the iPhone, actually, that's been tracking up. just a little bit of interesting trivia there. Uh, so th- and th- these um, disorders and anxiety getting to that point um, can be very debilitating. So that's an example of bad fear. What does the Bible have to say about fear? Well, let's have a look at the first four verses of Psalm 56, if you've got it open in front of you. David's in the situation where he's a prisoner of war, and he says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. So that's bad circumstances, right? No one wants to be in a situation where they're constantly being hassled by their enemies. So it's fair enough that he would be feeling fear, and he says that he is. But in a way, he says it like this He says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Talking about God there. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. So he is afraid because of his circumstances, and that totally makes sense to all of us. But then as he turns to his relationship with God and he trusts in God, he seems confident to face that fear and to say that he's not afraid. And then he's even got the confidence to face the enemies around him when he says, what can mere mortals, what can mere human beings do to me? So his relationship with God brings him confidence in the face of the fear that he's experiencing. Uh, If we go to the New Testament section of the Bible, uh, you'll see the phrase, do not be afraid, repeated uh, in various different ways, but very similar phrasing, um, 70 times. And so the conclusion that I've drawn uh, from just looking at these and other um, teaching on fear throughout the Bible is that God doesn't want us to be afraid. Actually, being afraid, apart from those instances where it helps us make a good decision on the spot sort of thing, uh, mostly fear is a negative thing. And probably out of... I was looking at the list of emotions we're going to look at um, throughout the series. I would say fear is probably the most negative as in it brings the least good things to our life and probably does the most damage. This is my opinion, that's not Bible teaching, but that's sort of my take on it. So God doesn't want us to be afraid and he doesn't want us to be living in fear. That said, I want to be very clear that if you are experiencing fear at the moment or anxiety or you have in the past, you haven't done anything morally wrong. Okay? It's not like you're sinning by fearing or that you're doing something silly or stupid. Not at all. Okay, so we don't want to get, get that in our head, but we do want to be encouraged that God doesn't want us to be afraid, doesn't want us to live in fear. And the primary reason for that is God's love, especially expressed through Jesus. And so what I want to do in the second part of this talk is to talk to you a little bit about my experience with fear and how Jesus being, the love of Jesus has being essential in me uh, grappling with this emotion. So about 12 years ago, I got suddenly and unexpectedly very sick. And it was pretty much a mystery for about a whole year. Um, I got scanned and prodded and probed and injected and all these sort of things uh, as the medical professionals tried to work out what was wrong with me. Um, But it was a long process. And so the worst nights, uh, I would sometimes lie awake, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., And if you've been awake at that time, you know that's not the best time of the day to be processing deep uh, life issues, but I found myself doing that a few times. Um, A handful of nights, I'll be lying there wondering if we should call an ambulance and seriously considering the possibility that I was going to die. That, Like, well, what if this just gets worse and worse to the point where I'm just going to lose my life? So that looming sense of potential loss um, was really clear for me in that situation that I feared the loss potentially of my life. Most nights were not that intense, but I was still really crook. And so you would fe- I would fear losing other things, um, maybe fear the loss of plans. You know, you have all these things that you plan to do in your life, things you'd like to achieve, things you'd like to do, and I'm starting to go through going, if I feel like this, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. Um, and then just feeling of loss of control. You know, if, if you're in a situation where you go, if I drive down the shops, I'm not sure I'm going to be healthy enough to drive back, then you've got a lot less control than you used to have. You might be familiar with this if you've ever been on crutches. You know, like, probably you're all right now because I can't see any crutches around. But, you know, and you suddenly go, oh, this is really restrictive. Like, I have so much more control if I can just walk one foot in front of the other. I was on crutches once and I was trying to get into the shower. And we have quite a narrow shower room. Um, so you've got to get in without your crutches. And I just I ripped um, towel racks off both walls, just trying to steady myself, just bang. <laughs> they both came out at the same time and I went tumbling. You know, you have this lack of control. So my house being bad meant there was all these potential losses that lay ahead of me that I was gripp- grappling with, and it was creating a lot of fear uh, inside me. Now, eventually I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. When you get a syndrome, they basically they don't know exactly what it is, but they say, you've got this collection of symptoms, and we reckon this sort of treatment helps those symptoms, so try that. Um, so that's what I did, and I started to feel better gradually. Um, but a couple of years later, I then got a, an extra health crisis um, where I got vestibular migraines. So these are headaches that create dizziness and the dizziness can linger for a long time. And so uh, when you get sick like that, if you've ever experienced dizziness, um, sometimes called vertigo or vertigo, as the uh, Fosch doctors called it for some reason, uh, you'll know that it's actually just really hard to think clearly and you feel like you're losing your mind, you know, because you can't concentrate, you don't remember things as well when you're dizzy all the time. So that was another fear that I had and that one in particular um, I found the most challenging actually because it was on top of these other problems I've been having and I would just physically respond to the anxiety that I was feeling. So, And that's something I learned through that whole process is I probably would have thought fear was just something that happens in your thoughts but it can actually be something that affects your whole body. Um, And an extreme version of this is a panic attack. If you've ever experienced that or seen that, they can be very intense. And so, um, I I don't think I had a full blown panic attack, but, you know, I was on the verge uh, a number of times. And so, Tim talked about this with grief last week as well, that like emotions can just take over your whole body. So, that was a pretty shocking experience, because I have to say, up until I got sick, I didn't really understand people who grappled with anxiety. Like, I had a number of friends who really found it challenging and I had sympathy for them because, clearly, it was hard for them, but I just didn't get it. I was like, how can emotions affect you that much, you know, and take over that much? Um, And maybe you're in that category uh, today and you're like, yeah, like, I've never felt fear to that level um, or anxiety to that level. I just wanted to share the story to just let you know how debilitating it can be for people who. Um, are really in the midst of it. Um, now, here's the thing. I gradually got better from both chronic fatigue and vestibular migraines. Uh, but then, early this year, uh, Victoria got covered in bushfire smoke. Now, you're probably familiar with this. And I had a relapse. And all the symptoms from both chronic fatigue and um, vestibular migraines have come back. Not at the full-blown intensity that they were, but um, they're back. And in particular, the fear and the anxiety that I had back then has also reappeared. Um, like, I'm dizzy now, you know? And so that you can imagine public speaking, the number one fear for Australians, actually. More, people fear public speaking more than death. So I'm doing, like, the most fearful thing an Australian can do, and I'm feeling dizzy, right? So just in the lead-up to today, I wasn't feeling super confident about that. Um, Add to that, uh, the the GP says I have a a respiratory infection at the moment too. I've got swollen glands. (laughs) And so on Friday night, I'd finished preparing the talk and, you know, got all the slides together and all that. And I went home, and from a logical thinking point of view, things were okay. And I was confident I could come and talk today. But my body was saying, no, you need to be very agitated about this. And so I sat at home for a couple of hours grappling with all these sort of anxiety, physical expressions that were going on. Many of you will be familiar with this. Um, You've had this sort of experience. So why is Jesus so important in all this? How can being a Christian actually be of help? Because clearly it doesn't protect you from ever fearing anything, right? Right? But I was a Christian that whole time before I got sick right through. It doesn't protect you from experiencing illness and all the things that every human being experiences. Well, what I can say is through the whole thing, um, I was felt very supported by Jesus and that I felt that he was with me the whole time, reminding me of the most basic but most important things about the Christian faith. And that is that God's love is um, gracious. That means it's unearned, it's undeserved, but it's a loving gift. And that's the way God sees all of us. Um, he loves us like that. You don't have to perform. So, you know, when I'm thinking like, oh, I had all these plans uh, for my life, and I really got the sense that God would say to me, hey, you might never achieve any of those, and I'll love you as much then as if you achieve all of them plus more. My love for you won't change in that. You can be, I love you as much when you're healthy as you are when you're sick um, because God isn't in the business of checking your performance and evaluating you and making sure that you measure up to some sort of standard. Um, He's always been like that, but he particularly demonstrated that by coming to the world as Jesus. Jesus demonstrated it in his life, A, with his teaching. So much of Jesus' teaching is about grace and the unconditional love of God. Um, And also in the way he he interacted with people, you never see Jesus looking down his nose at someone who's made bad decisions in life or who's sick or hasn't really delivered much to society. He always engages with those people, shows them kindness, shows them love, gives them as much time as anyone else. Um, Then he demonstrated in his death, sacrificial death, taking away the problems that our sin causes. Um, removing the punishment that we deserve, removing the shame of the evil that we've done, removing the consequences of our sin um, and so on. Amazing, sacrificial, loving death that Jesus died. Then in the resurrection, he, he rises again so we don't have to feel, feel guilty about him um, making that sacrificial death and so that we can have hope for eternal life, that this life is not all, that we'll have something else um, to look forward to after we die uh, and that also he sends his Holy Spirit so that we have the loving God living inside us when we put our trust in Jesus, so that when we experience a problematic emotion like fear, that we can know that God is with us and we can know of that gracious love. It doesn't mean we won't experience the emotion, but it means we know we have someone greater and all-loving who is with us as we do experience it. And I'm just grateful that I'd learned about Jesus um, before I got sick, and that I experienced um, his love throughout that whole process of being as crook as I was. So here's the question for all of us tonight, is what is the foundation of your identity? When we're talking about identity, we're talking about who we are. You know, what is the basis for how you think about who you are and your purpose in life? Is it the grace of Jesus Christ? Is the basis for who you are that God loves you unconditionally, whether you're doing real good in life and nailing it or whether everything's falling apart? Or is the basis for your identity something else? The expectation of your parents. Sometimes we think that's just a young person thing, but I've met people whose parents have died from old age and they still are highly influenced by the expectation of their parents. Now, parents' expectations can be good; they're not all bad, <laughs> but they can't be the foundation for who we are. Likewise, the expectations of your social group—you um, know, some sort of standard of Aussie dream—you know, of achieving perfect house or family, or you know, getting some sort of degree or some sort of award or whatever. Or is the basis of your identity what the media tells you it should be? You know, a lot of pressure around that. A lot of messages in the media telling you different things. Um, Not just in advertising, but do you know the number one tool that advertisers use to get you to buy things? Fear. They try and get you to be scared so that you buy something to fix your fear. So we've got to be aware of these things, and we've got to be going. Do you know what? I'm going to put my identity, the sense of who I am, first and foremost in the love of Jesus Christ. If you are already doing that, good on you. Keep at it. Hold tight to it. When life's going well, don't forget it because you need to remember that and need to have it as a habit in your life when you're going to bump into some hard times. Remind yourself of the grace of Jesus when things are going well so that when life gets hectic, you can still be in the habit of remembering it. And if you're not, if you are putting your sense of identity in something else, what I want to encourage you tonight is to take the first step towards making a change and trusting in the God who loves you unconditionally and putting all those other things, which can be helpful sometimes. I'm not saying all these things, everything the media says or everything your parents says are bad, but putting them as secondary and measured Um, you know, looked at through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. So to finish tonight, um, I want to read out two verses that were helpful and encouraging to me uh, when I was right in the deepest part of the valley. I'm going to read them out as a prayer. Ben, you can um, come up and take your positions. Um, I'll read it fairly slowly, and I just hope it'll be helpful for you um, and encouragement to take those steps that you need to with Jesus. So let's pray. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au.